Well, this is a sermon about the faithfulness of God in the court of a foreign king. Royal courts are places where authority looms large, where everyone is conscious of the power of the queen or the king. And the hierarchy of position and power that everyone inhabits in the court dominates relationships. Courts are places with strong cultures, rules, etiquette, expectations, rituals, required behaviour. At court, you must conform and perform or fall and fail. Now, you and I may not live in a royal court, but you and people you know, we do inhabit court-like places, places that are ruled, institutions with culture and expectation and authority where you must conform and perform. Schools, universities, workplaces, government, defence forces, etc., etc. All these places require us to conform to, you know, to wear this, to say that, to respect this, to value that. All these places also require us to perform, to hit these KPIs, to strive for these marks, or at least not fail, to fulfil certain roles and functions. All these places are also shot through with authority. And sometimes believers in God experience a conflict between this human authority and what we feel we owe to God in order to honour him and stay loyal to him. We're plunging into Daniel 1 to 6, and the six chapters are following, these are six chapters following the progress of four young Judeans exiled from their homeland, from Jerusalem, and living at the court of the king of Babylon, who had conquered the people. These chapters raise questions about who rules in the end. Is it human kings or is it God, the God of Daniel and his friends, the God of the people of Israel? These chapters also raise questions about how believers in God should behave when human authority contradicts loyalty to God. And so I hope this is going to be a useful and interesting series through Lent to Easter. Today, what I will look at is Daniel and his friends and their beginning at the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And then I want to reflect on the courts that we live in and the issues they can raise for us. So let's begin with Daniel and his friends as they enter Nebuchadnezzar's service at his court. As I said, Daniel was a young Judean nobleman. And when he was young, a great catastrophe overtook his people. The Babylonians arrived. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, uh, you will remember that Habakkuk was told the Babylonians are coming. Well, in Daniel's day, they came. And so Daniel opens with these words. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. This was the judgment of God, as that text from Daniel frankly acknowledges. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. It was the judgment of God 
And as uh, Nebuchadnezzar decided what to do next, his policy was to cream off the best of the young nobles to stop them hanging around and getting nationalistic and leading rebellions against um, Babylon, and also to harvest them and put them to work in his own empire, in his own administration, to get their talents and put them to work for Babylon. And so for Daniel, for Hananiah, for Mishael and Azariah, it is a new king, a new country, a new language, a new culture, and even a new name for them. These young men, they could have let the past die. They could have embraced the opportunities they had at the Babylonian court to to become Babylonian. They could have jumped on board with this whole program. And to a great degree, they didn't really have a choice about that. They had to. And they went along with it largely, but not entirely. Daniel resolved, we read in verse 8, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. We're not told exactly why Daniel felt that the king's food was defiling. Uh, Of course, Jewish people have food laws. They can't, for example, eat pork and still obey the law of Moses. Is this the reason why Daniel refuses the food? Well, maybe that's an element of it, but there's no reason why Daniel should refuse the wine as well, which he does. Uh, Perhaps Daniel is concerned that the food is is being offered to an idol in a Babylonian temple and he doesn't want to eat food sacrificed to idols. Again, possible, not stated. um, And what about the vegetables? Perhaps they were in the same boat. He's had to eat something. Uh, Maybe receiving the food from the king's table was a sign that you were loyal to him, dependent on him. You were, in a sense, binding yourself to him, and Daniel didn't want to do that. We don't know exactly, but whatever the case, Daniel resolves to hold a line against conformity to his Babylonianization, And he decides that this line is going to be at the point of food, what he puts in his mouth. But, of course, he can decide that, but it doesn't mean he's going to get what he wants because he's under authority. Can he fulfil this resolution? Now, he has got a friend. Daniel has a sympathetic contact in Ashpenaz. But, of course, this is the court. And high up as Ashpenaz is, he fears the king's displeasure. And that, that is what rules the court. Ashpenaz says, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so Ashpenaz won't risk it. Having failed, at this first attempt, Daniel tries a more junior official and strikes a bargain, this 10-day trial of a lean diet of vegetables and water. Astoundingly, this fattens up Daniel and his friends beautifully. And here is one of the first indications of God's presence with them and God's favour Towards them, Because although Jerusalem has fallen, and although this was the judgment of God upon Daniel's people, yet God hasn't abandoned his people. Even these young lads, alone in the court of a foreign king, are being helped along. Not only can they avoid the king's food, God gives them great gifts, great gifts that are going to bring them to the king's notice. They're going to bring them into the circle of the king's 
um, understanding and experience. Verse 19, the king talked with them after their training and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And so they were top of their class as they graduated from the Babylonian apprenticeship. But not only top of their class, they outclass all competition once they enter the king's service. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And so this is Daniel 1. It's a chapter that gets all the uh, main players, the main characters, on stage for the chapters to follow. We meet Nebuchadnezzar, who is a very important figure, especially in the first four chapters of Daniel. He, his, his name is mentioned in the first verse of every chapter. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, as we have seen, has sent Daniel to school to learn something, something Babylonian. But what Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know is that the Lord is going to send him to school and he's going to use Daniel and his friends as Nebuchadnezzar's teacher. And so the other important people to meet are Daniel and his friends who will be put to the test but will discover God's ability to save and to use them even in the court, the sometimes very hostile court of a foreign king. So let's think now, having thought about Daniel, let's think now about the courts that we live in or the people we know live in and the issues they raise. For plenty of us, we have to live and work in organisations that train us to conform and to perform. These organisations can ask us to conform to all kinds of things, including certain ideological commitments. Uh, For example, this week's Economist magazine, just to show this is part of the current world, has an article on mandatory diversity statements in academia. Uh, Various institutions increasingly require, especially in the US, uh, mandatory diversity statements uh, if you're applying for a job or a grant or anything like that. Now, one grant awarder required prospective grantees to file a plan for enhancing diverse perspectives. Teams with investigators from diverse background received precedence in consideration for these grants. Now, some people are concerned about this. People, uh, says Anna Krilov, a professor of chemistry at the University of Southern California, people are unwilling to push back because they're afraid to lose their funding, and no one wants to become a martyr for defending reason. Professor Krylov studied in the former Soviet Union and sees parallels that are a little too close. Rather than Marxism-Leninism, you really have to pledge your commitment, she says, to critical social justice. Now, this situation is fine if you can agree with, with what you're being asked to sign off on. No problem. Uh, It's fine if you're willing to pretend and say, oh, I've got to jump through this hoop, it's all baloney, but I'll do it. But sometimes these things feel in conflict with a person's loyalty to God. Sometimes it feels a bit defiling to participate in something that feels false, it feels coerced or inconsistent with what you believe apart from any other problems of a culture of fear and control that might arise. Now, in saying all this, I'm not trying to fan outrage or create drama. 
But there is an integrity to being loyal and faithful to God. And sometimes there can be hostility to God in the world. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. When Daniel had a problem with what was expected of him in the court of the king of Babylon, he sought permission for an accommodation. He asked for an exception and he got it. Not on the first try, but on the second. If you find yourself or someone you know, your counselling, has a problem with what they're being asked to do, to conform in an organisation, then... We're going to take Daniel's example. Try talking to those in charge after you've got asked God for help, I, I suggest, and have thought carefully about an approach. But just ask for an accommodation, an exception. Maybe the problem can be solved with the Lord's help in a pretty simple and quiet way. Try the prayer and gentle negotiation method first, because the Lord may be kind. Daniel 1 is a somewhat gentle and optimistic introduction to life in Nebuchadnezzar's court. It turns out there is a way to live faithfully and do well there for the believers in the Lord. They don't have to compromise themselves unthinkably. The Lord is with them in their exile and he can and does help them to succeed. Daniel's chapter 2 to 6 are going to get darker and less gentle. Death sentences will be pronounced. Concessions will not be given. Ordeals will be faced. But through all this, Daniel and his friends will be used by the Lord to teach Nebuchadnezzar and some other kings following him this truth. And here is it in the words of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's last words recorded in Daniel are these. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is what God taught Nebuchadnezzar through the presence of Daniel and his friends in his court. Now, I hope and pray that none of you or anyone you know suffers because some organisation squeezes you. But even if it does turn out like that, it may be that God uses your example of conduct and what happens to you to teach others something of himself. This week, as you go off to school or work or uni, or wherever you work and belong in, remember that Jesus goes with you into these places and that we can serve and represent and be used by him there in those courts. And whether things go well and easily and it's happy, or whether things are difficult and tense and hard, well, let's pray, whatever the case, for the faith, the wisdom, the skill, the help and the courage we might need to be Christ's people in these places. Will you pray with me?
Our Lord Jesus, you suffered at the hands of hostile rulers and powers, just as Daniel and his friends did. And just as they did, you bore witness to the truth before the world's authorities. And you send us into the world, a world which can be demanding and hostile to our faith. In this situation, Lord, give us wisdom, give us skill and courage to live in that world with Christian integrity. Be with us and use us to bear witness to you and to do good to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.